be seated. Preparation for uh, the Lord's Supper, I want us to reflect on a passage we we were in last week in John 1.12. And again, I want us to turn our attention there today. There is so much to be mined out of these verses. John Piper um, inspired me when I read his words that those who rake for leaves will always find leaves. But those who mine for gold will find the precious truths of God's Word. And the problem often when you and I approach the Scripture is we're raking for leaves and we're going through the minutia and the facts and the knowledge and the repetition of it. And all we're doing is skimming the surface, seeing words on a page when we could be so much more digging into those words and digging into that truth and finding the nuggets the gold that's under there. You can't get it on the surface. If gold was that easy to find, all of us would be wealthy. All of us would have it. The reason everybody doesn't have it is it's hard work. And the Scripture's hard work, but it is so refreshing. You read a verse like John 1.12 and it seems like minutia, it seems like facts, it seems just so devoid of any thing that would change a life. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. Verse 13, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I realized last week I prepared you for uh, something I never delivered on. And then I didn't make it clear I didn't deliver. And so you were kind of scratching your head. A lot of you came to me afterwards. What was so controversial about what you said today? That wasn't all that controversial. Where was the controversy? I didn't get there. Don't you like that? I did not get to what I thought I would, as is commonly the case. We stayed in verse 12. But as many as receive Him, and then we moved down to, to those who believe in His name. And we talked about faith. What is genuine biblical faith? What does it mean that I have faith in Christ? It means I have the knowledge, I have the emotional and the assent to the knowledge. I agree with it emotionally and with all of my willpower. These are true facts. And then biblical saving faith moves beyond that to I cast my lot. I fling myself on the cross. Trust. He is the only hope I have. If G- and remember I said, this should have raised some flags in your heart to where, are, where am I in the faith? Because I said, if you have any secondary hope, you need to question your trust in Christ. I tell you, if I arrive at the, at, at the gate, so to speak, at the threshold of the throne room of God, and He tells me, that His Son's blood has not made a way for me. I have no hope. There's nothing else. You can't have Jesus and hold Him in one hand 
and reach for the things of this world with the other. The picture of the gospel is I cling to the cross. It's all I have. There is no hope outside of this. There's nothing else. And then that middle phrase, I didn't want you to think we forgot it. It's so significant. I want, it, and believe it or not, God is so much a God of His Word and of His people that this fits exactly where we were on the calendar to have the Lord's Supper. We try to have the Lord's Supper monthly, and sometimes I have to deviate from the, script, the Scripture I'm preaching in to do it, to, to make sense of it all. But this fits perfectly. Look what it says. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right... In the King James, it says the power to become children of God. Salvation is not only simple, as we said last week, salvation is delightful. Salvation is delightful. The Father receiving His prodigal sons. You remember that story? Did you know you're, and you and I are the prodigal sons? We're the prodigal sons. We're the ones who took our inheritance and then spent it wastefully. That's us. That's us. Or possibly, you're the older brother. We've talked about that before here at Grace. And you are a legalist, and you're a works-oriented man, and you boastfully say, I've never spent my inheritance, and now I want what's mine. That's heart of indignation and self-righteousness that comes up in all of us religious folk all the time. We've talked about that. From the simple though, I want to be real simple in this message. Many ways, the older son in the parable is a prodigal. Because though he didn't go waste his life, he was not connected to his father. He was in the wasteland of legalism. His brother was in the wasteland of the world. He was in the wasteland of legalism. And he had just, just as little connection with his daddy as the brother that had been gone all those years. Now I say this, God, through the power of Jesus Christ, has welcomed home His prodigal sons. He's brought us back. He's loved us with open arms. And that's what John is writing to us about in verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right authority to become children of God to all those who believe in His name. Now, what makes it so delightful is that our salvation cannot in any way be added to nor taken away from by our own merit. Just, that word, just those words, understood correctly, should move your heart to worship. Just hearing it. Do you, are you tired of hearing about that? Are you weary of hearing about grace? Are you weary of hearing that you can't earn it? Because if you are, then please fall on your face before God before you go to bed tonight and beg Him to reignite your heart for the grace He has given you and help you shed light on the situation. Let the eternal Word of God, as John has written about in the first part of this chapter, the light, the powerful light of the glory of Jesus Christ shine anew on your heart that you might understand what grace really is all about. Understand it's not just insurance for the next life. It is this life. It's what I do today. It's what I hope for tomorrow. And it's what I look forward to in the future.
It's all that I am. It's not an addition, an addendum. It is all that I am as a believer. That's what makes salvation so delightful, is that He gives us the authority, the right, to become children of God. Children of God is a great phrase because other places it says sons of God, right? We, often in Paul he says he, you're a son of God. You've been made a son of God. But this term, this children, encompasses relationship with the Father and inheritance of the Father. It gets both. You see, in the, in the Hebrew world, only the oldest brother got the inheritance and then he gave it out as needed to the rest of the family. But here, he's not talking about a son. He's saying, God has brought us in through Jesus Christ to make us His children. Like I am affectionate and tender with my three-year-old and my 16-month-old. They climb up on my lap and I love them and hold them and comfort them. This is the picture of John 1.12. Is if you're longing for and you're looking for something bigger than yourself to have relationship with, you can't find anything bigger than God. And you can have that relationship if you receive Jesus Christ because He will give you authority to have that relationship. He will give you permission. I'm going to say this and we're done with this. Isn't that amazing? You never thought I could preach that short, did you? I want you to just get a glimpse of it and then we're going to go to the Lord's Supper because they tie together. John, the same John, caught up in a vision of glory looked at heaven and he saw just God who had the right to destroy all mankind because they were sin and they could not meet the standard of his perfection and his holiness. And the picture of eternity is that that God who had that right sought out someone who could make the prodigals come home and the Bible tells us in Revelation that all of heaven was searched I can hear them now the angels that were before the throne calling out John said for someone worthy to take the scrolls and unbind them and there was none found at that moment John had to have been destroyed in his vision hope snatched away breath Snatched from his lungs. I can only imagine what it must have felt like to stand there and see in this vision a holy God who could find no one to take the place of our unrighteous and fallen human race. Who can do it? And the answer is, no one can do it. And then glory on top of glory on top of glory. The Lamb of God steps forward. And He says, I have the authority I have the right and I have the joy and the delight to take that scroll and do what no one else can ever do. I'll take the beating. I'll take the death. I'll take the wrath. Why? So that you might have the right and the authority to be children of God. So that today you might crawl up into the lap of the Father in heaven and be comforted by Him. How? Not based on you, based on Jesus Christ. When you come to the throne room of God, when I come to the throne room of God, we need not be bashful. Why? Because when we walk there, we're walking a tread, we're treading on steps that were paved for us with the spilt 
blood of the Lamb of God and we are covered in it. And when the Father looks down from the throne, He sees His Lamb. He sees His children. He sees the prodigal who the older brother paid for to come home. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right, the authority, the power, the dunamis to come to the throne room as children of God. Whoever believes in His name can come. I tell you today, if you cling to the cross, if you have flung yourself at His feet and said, I have nothing else. If you're not it, I have nothing. I'm doomed. I have no hope. If you've done that, you are the most blessed among all men. Because He's given you authority. It's His authority. He's given you right. It's His right, His power. And now you come into the Father's lap. And what do you receive? Not a back can, not a reprimand, not a paddle. What do you receive? Joint heir with Christ. Matthew in the Great Commission says that Jesus Christ said, Go ye therefore and baptize and disciple all nations, baptizing them the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always. But the verse that precedes that is, All power in heaven and earth has been entrusted to me. By that power, our Savior says, You're children of God if you accept me. If you trust in me, you're children of God. What can overturn that decision? Nothing. It's a sure salvation. It's based on Him. He's paid the price. And so in Him we find our, as Paul said, our breath and our movement. It's Him. It's all we have. Some of you in here need to, for the first time in ages, you need to stop with the guilt and the pity and you need to fall down and thank God in heaven that He made a way through His Son. You need to cling to His cross like you never have. And you need to cry out to Him, not as some beat-down, whipped puppy, but as a child of the King. And some of us in here have grown so religious and so cold that when we hear it, it's just words on a page. And we need to repent. I'm calling you to repent. I'm calling you to do it. Because without that, then the supper means nothing. The supper means nothing if the grace means nothing. It's, a wine, it's, it's juice. It's not even wine. It's not even the good stuff. It's off-brand wine. Grape juice. It's stale crackers. That's all it is but to the man or the woman or the child who has clung to Christ, it is so much more because it is a remembrance. It is a celebration. It is a worship service in and of itself that we have this great Savior who is our gift, who is our God. Worthy is the Lamb. He died before the foundation of the world. He takes away the sin of everyone who has received Him and believed in His name. It's a guarantee. We're going to move into a time of reflection. 
I still haven't got to John 1.13, which is the controversy. But that's for another day. What is for today is not facts. It's not, it's not ascension to facts. It's trust. What is for today is not relevant who did what when in the timetable of eternity. What is important, what is relevant, is that John 1.12 says you can enter into a relationship with the Father through the authority of the Son. And if you have that relationship, we want to celebrate how that relationship was brought into existence. The death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. And so I want to pray for us. I'll ask that uh, the men, the deacons, come forward and uh, help with the ministering of this supper. But I want to pray for us. I pray you are reflecting on your life, that you'll continue to reflect on your life even in this time. My prayer is that we savor Him today. Let's pray. Father, thank You for powerful little verses like John 1.12 that at the first glance just look like minutia. They just look like leaves. They, it, it just looks like words on a page, but then when Your Holy Spirit breathes on it, it is life to the dead. It is breath. It is sight. It is hearing. It is marrow in the bone. Thank you for these little verses. I thank you for the big truth in this little verse. That no matter creed or race or denomination or sect or wherever we come from, whatever background it is, Lord, that when we come to your cross, the ground is level. And when we cling to that cross, our sins are forgiven, wiped away. Not only that, but that because of this, we have the right, we have the power, we have the permission, we have the invitation to come into your very throne room, not as sinners any longer, but as saints, as children of God. I praise you for that. And I know that that is only possible because heaven was sought out. All of heaven was searched and there was no one found worthy to take the scroll and then the Lamb stepped forward and took it willingly in my place, in the believer's place for all time, in every culture, in every race, in every tongue, in every ethnicity, in every sect, in every denomination. You took it. And you paid it in full. And you imputed and you gave and you placed on us your righteousness. And now we're your children, Father. Thank you. And may we glory and savor these truths throughout this worship service and this supper and in the day to come. May we worship you continually. Thank you for the special communion that's offered to us at the table. I pray that we would not defile it. I pray that no one here who is not prepared to take it or not worthy because of sin or because of a lost state not coming to you already, I pray they would not take this supper. But anyone, anyone, Lord, who has received freely from you salvation and grace through Jesus Christ, Lord, please take this as an opportunity to help them worship in spirit and truth and renew and rejuvenate and reinvigorate their spiritual life. It's in your name.
that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Man, if you'd come forward. The recounting of the first supper with the disciples and the Lord is recorded in Luke chapter 22. And it starts in verse 14. And when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this cup and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. That's the celebration of the Passover. And he then took bread, gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're going to take a representation of the bread of the flesh of Jesus Christ, which is the bread of life come down from heaven. He who eats of this bread, the bread of life, Jesus Christ, will never perish. And we have the opportunity today in a real way to remember that. And I call you to remembrance of His broken body that was broken because of God's wrath against sinners and because of the deep desire which He desired to bring the prodigal home. Men, if you would take this and distribute it to those in the congregation.
Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. No one takes his life from him. He willingly lays it down for his sheep. John 6 says that he is the bread of life which has come down from heaven. Not like the bread which came down in Moses' day where the fathers ate and died. But he who eats the bread of Jesus Christ will live forever. Frank Tucker, would you pray for us? Dear Lord, I ask you that we take this, that we'll do it in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 22 continues. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Hebrews 9 tells us without the shedding of blood, sins cannot be forgiven. We take this fruit of the vine as a remembrance of the blood shed for us by Jesus Christ.
Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things that have come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but with His own blood He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And then in verse 24, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And so I say again, we have entrance and admittance into the presence of God the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ, the mediator of our salvation through the covenant of His own shed blood. Jesus has said and continues to say today that anyone who receives Him and believes in His name shall be called a son or child of God. And you receive that authority through the shed blood. And this is a remembrance of that blood that He shed for us that was greater than the blood of goats and bulls, but it is His own blood laid down and shed for us. David Cato, would you pray for us? Lord, we just thank You for this time to come together as a, as a group of believers and, and remember Your sacrifice for us on the cross. We ask, Lord, that this is touched all of our hearts and brought us back to a closer relationship with you and, and caused us to, to ponder over our current spiritual situation and, and to draw closer to you. And we ask your blessings on all the proceedings here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and join hands. Scripture tells us that when Christ and his disciples had completed the supper, they... Uh, sang a hymn and went out into the garden together. And so it's our tradition to sing together. So let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him of nature's here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.